Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs that assists recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Last week, we had a very successful Radiothon show. And we managed to raise over $4,000, which was a really great effort. I'm very grateful for everybody's donations. They really helped Living Free stay on air and they helped 3CR to continue to enable distinct voices and marginalised voices to be on the air. And that's something we support at Living Free. It's important to hear diverse voices, voices from marginalised communities and drug addicts, alcoholics, gamblers, people with food addictions and their families are pretty marginalised in society and we need to hear their voices so people can realise that there is a solution, that it isn't a life sentence and that there are ways to recover. So donate to 3CR and keep us on the air. Thanks. Today my guest is an alcoholic, uh, recovering with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, we'll be discussing how Alcoholics Anonymous helps alcoholics and problem drinkers. So, Hayley, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me today. You know, our usual format, Hayley, is talking about, you know, the things that influenced you growing up and family and really, I guess, to get an insight into why you took the path you took uh, in your life, just to give people a bit of an insight into how it happens and, and why people get into that situation where alcohol is such a big part of their lives. So what was your early life like? Yeah, interesting. I, I'm the youngest of three daughters and there's quite an age gap between myself and my older sisters. Uh, so there's only about, I think, uh, 14 months difference between my two older sisters and then there's about 11 and 12 years difference between myself and them. So my upbringing was uh, sufficiently different to theirs as well. My parents had my sisters when they were, you know, quite young and uh, dad was in a different job uh, when I came along. So I guess in one sense I was quite spoiled, obviously, being the youngest. I, I benefited a lot more. But my parents also decided to go back to the church. That was a very different upbringing that I had as well. And I guess for myself it's... It's hard to know where things change. I mean, I do know where they change, but quite early on in life, I was traumatised. Um, and I guess that just sort of set me on a, on a certain path, uh, on a certain trajectory for the rest of my life up until now. And uh, yeah, so early days, you know, in primary school, I was very, very quiet, very shy, you know, I was that that kid that really had no friends, uh, I guess, because I just didn't know where I sort of uh, fitted in in the world. Um, I didn't seem to fit in with my own family. Um, I was very different. I was the youngest. 
and you know I didn't fit in at school so I had a lot of those um those social issues as well. Can I just take you back did you do you want to talk a bit about in general terms the trauma or not? Yeah yeah so when I was uh, about four or five I was molested um, by a friend's father um, and it was, it, I held on to it for so long that my family could never understand. My family could see that something had happened, but I guess my mum felt that without putting words into my mouth, she could never do anything about it. She had a, I guess, a, you know, a sense of what had happened, but yeah, you know, and by their account, you know, I went from a very outgoing you know, fun toddler, child, little girl to, you know, being very repressed and um, very introverted, traumatised, wetting the bed, you know. And, I mean, this was all back in the 80s, you know. They didn't have, you know, the understanding, I guess, even back then as what we do these days around mental health as well. You know, I, I do remember being taken from one counsellor to another, but no one could could dig it out of me and you know it, it prevented me from you know or I had issues when I would sleep over at friends houses and I guess I repressed that memory so much that I couldn't even verbalize why I had an issue you know I'd go to friends places and, and I'd be happy through the day and then come nighttime I'd be absolutely terrified you know and that and that happened even well into my teens and and you know, even even these days, I, I tend to struggle a little bit. You know, if I'm on my own or if I don't know particular people, if they're, if they're not on my equal level, I'm very, you know, uncomfortable. So I guess once everything came out about about that historical trauma, it, it made a bit more sense in my family's eyes. It gave them more of an understanding. Oh, that's why she is the way she is. You know, so yeah. So having it come out, did that improve your relationship with your parents? To a certain extent it did, but I guess I really had no time to work through it because not long after that came out, I fell pregnant with my eldest child. So, uh, you know, that also terrified me as well. I was, um, I was having counselling, but I... You know, I felt like I wasn't ready. You know, I, I was very, I was so immature even as a 20, 21 year old, you know, and, and dealing with all of these issues. And I was terrified that it was going to be a little girl because I didn't want things to happen to her, what had happened to me and that I'd be overprotective and things like that. And she's beautiful. So <laughs> that's great. Yes, I've just got a, recently got a grandson and, yeah, it's, yeah, you are very protective, aren't you? It's, um, yeah, <clears throat> it's great. So I guess going to um, secondary school, did things improve for you getting into a different environment uh, with, as far as friendships went or not? No, because I went to about six different schools over the course of my life. I went to three primary schools and three high schools. Yeah, the, the problem followed me everywhere to an extent. I, I guess that probably the best part of my years were my VCE years where I changed schools and um, that was the final change for me. Yeah. Yeah. So were you a good student? 
face so yeah I was quiet I wasn't I was certainly someone that got in trouble or or you know uh was raucous in the class and, and what about relationships you mentioned you had a, a child at 21 but was it difficult for you having close relationships yeah it, it was you know I have a better understanding of myself these days you know th this particular issue I've, I've carried right throughout my entire life through every relationship you know and yeah that that particular relationship I guess you know he was my childhood sweetheart we met when I was 16 you know and um uh, he's a, a beautiful man um I guess what prevented me from staying with him obviously other other things happened but he was too much of a oh, sorry Morris a brother if that makes sense a problem yeah. mm. you know and I, I didn't want to have to force myself to love him you know I suppose I looked at my own parents relationship as well and that sort of influenced me a little bit you know and my dad said to me one day you know you can learn to love someone and and that just immediately had me, oh, no, <laughs> because, yeah, my parents have had their issues and they're still together today. And, and you know, it's it's pretty incredible what they've gone through and that they're still together. So, yeah. I think you've got to have the respect. If you respect the other person, you can love them easily. But if you don't, if there's not that level of respect or mutual respect, it's very difficult. Yeah. So by the time you got into VCE, did friendships come more easily to you? Were you a bit more liberated? Somewhat. I, I still had my guard up a fair bit, you know, uh, even, even through my 20s. I've never been someone that has surrounded herself with, with a massive group of friends. I've, I've got, you know, a few close friends that, that, I, that I speak to, but I don't tend to do very well in massive crowds I'm, I'm very much that introvert and I'm happy to be one-on-one -on -one with people but in, in a crowd of people I sort of lose myself a little bit yeah so what was your first exposure to alcohol and did it have what sort of effect did it have on you uh my first ever drink of alcohol would have been about nine I remember you know we used to have family roasts on on a Sunday evening and everyone would sit around with a glass of wine and uh, I remember having a, a sip of wine um, back then. Didn't do anything for me. I hated it. You know, I, I guess alcohol was fairly prevalent in, in my family home. Uh, my dad used to make his own home brew. And he used to work on the oil rigs as well. So he'd be away a week and home a week. And the weeks that he was at home... Pretty much every day or every afternoon, you know, on the bench, um, he'd be sitting at the bench, he'd have a jug of home brew, a neighbour would come over and they'd drink beer. You know, it wasn't uncommon, um, you know, for him to sit there with his nipples and playing guitar. It's, you know, it was actually quite warming to a person. Mum was a bit different. I remember, you know, making scotch and dries for her um, at a young age, scotch and dry ginger. You know, and there'd be nights where I'd wake up, you know, when on the weeks that Dad was away and, you know, she'd be cleaning the house or, or up ironing at like, you know, some ungodly hour with a bottle of champagne next to her. I don't think at those times that she was drunk, but it's certainly not 
common or yeah, it's unusual yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that's right you know uh out of my parents I've never once seen my dad drunk at all mum I have seen incredibly drunk on on many occasions so when did you start using alcohol as a solution probably not until uh around 23 I remember no 22 so it was just after my oldest child was born you know I, I was a single mum I was living on my own I had gotten into another relationship and you know it was with a man who was 20 years older than me we didn't live together but he was horrendously abusive and yeah I found myself occasionally you know getting up and, and starting my day with a glass of wine I guess I did it more sort of out of the freedom because whenever I had had a drink at home I was told off and I felt like because I was the baby I wasn't allowed to do anything you know yeah. I don't like <laughs> that felt I did that for a little while but I was able to sort of catch myself and realize hang on this is this is wrong you know I shouldn't be doing this and, and so I stopped it didn't come back around again in a problematic sort of issue until I was 27 28 and by that stage I was married I had uh, another baby and uh, so another daughter with my husband and I was pregnant with my son as well unfortunately even at that time you know we were only recently married but that relationship was already proving to be fairly toxic even though I was um you know I was trying to ignore that fact and I had started to medicate again with with the alcohol as a way of by means of coping I guess because I had seen my own mum cope with her own depression by means of alcohol and I, I had seen my two older sisters do that in the past as well. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't talked much about your sisters, but did they offer any support to you in these difficult times? Unfortunately, my family is quite fractured. So I guess in a way, about 10 years ago was my first uh, introduction to AA. My family, you know, and, and that was when I was about, yeah, 28 and my family intervened by way of, you know, I ended up, how it resulted was I ended up losing custody of my eldest daughter. And, you know, so to me, no, they weren't supportive. <laughs> I guess looking in hindsight, they were trying to be supportive. Today I have one of those sisters in my life. But, yeah, it's, it's certainly not a, a unified family. There's a lot of issues in there yeah it often happens when there's problems there's yeah there's problems yeah <laughs> yeah so I guess going back we sort of we jumped a bit mm. so as far as your marriages go you said you know your relationships were with people who are a bit abusive so what was it about them that attracted you my eldest daughter's father was never abusive you know, like I said, he was my, I see him as my childhood sweetheart. I just could never see myself 
with him, you know, I, I guess I li- you know, lived with my head above the clouds in a fantasy land, you know, back then. As unfortunately, since then, I have ended up in abusive relationships and not sure what uh, attracted me to those. Were they drinkers? Uh, no. No, I think the, the one with an older guy, I guess <laughs> my sister's um, husband is about 18 years older than her. And so I probably saw, I think I saw it as a way in with my family to be included because he was at least, you know, my, around my sister's ages or, or older, you know, but yeah, that, it, it was, it was quite toxic. Um, unfortunately, I, I've learned that I missed those, those red flags, you know, and that, and that's something that I'm, I'm, you know, still currently working on today outside with the help of, of people outside of AA. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Well, listen, we might take a short break there. Did you know that each donation over $2 you make to 3CR's Radiothon is tax deductible? That means that when you're doing your tax return business, you can claim your 3CR donation as a legitimate tax deduction. To make a pledge to this year's Radiothon, call the station on 9419 8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. 3CR Radiothon community-powered radio. Uh, This is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then either head to your preferred podcast platform, iTunes, Spotify, or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our show's webpage, you'll also find details about the Living Free show and how to contact us. Today I'm talking with Hayley, and we're talking about recovery from alcoholism with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, So Hayley, before the break, we were talking about relationships and things, but I guess I want to take you back to that point I think you said when you started using alcohol when you're around 22 after you had a baby, you know, as a single mum. So what was it that you felt it offered you? I guess it gave me a sense of of confidence in a way. Uh, I've always been a very anxious person and it it helped sort of lift the depression as well. You know, it, it, it lifted those endorphins. Okay. A lot of alcoholics get this euphoric feeling from it. Did you get that, not so much I'm better than everybody else, but I'm equal to everybody else? Did you get that feeling? Yeah, yeah, it did. That's what it helped with, you know, um, whereas I would stay very quiet and, you know, it aided me with in doing the things that I wanted to do that I normally wouldn't be able to do, you know. Simple things such as just picking up the phone even and, and calling a friend or you know, things like that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty common when you've got anxiety that anything is a stretch. <laughs> so were you a blackout drinker? It did get to that point, yes. How long did that take? It's very hard to say because the, the drinking was so 
fractured and, and on and off for, for so many years. And, you know, but it did get to, I mean, I think I was a blackout drinker even when I was married, but it, it you know, was also, I was also very much a blackout drinker, you know, um, even after we divorced and, and I'd lost everything. So. Yeah. It's difficult to maintain life, you know, for a lot of people normally, but when you're drinking and you have those periods when, you know, you, you're not addressing the issues you need to address, life becomes pretty complicated. So how complicated did your life become when you were drinking? Oh, extremely, I guess, you know, having to try and keep an eye on, on how much I was drinking and also, you know, keeping it a secret, hiding it all as well <laughs> you know bottles would be be strewn throughout the house and you know in a fashion where I thought that they were hidden but they they really weren't you know so yeah it was um very difficult to stay on top of that in that sense yeah so did your partners resent your drinking oh very much so yeah and I don't blame them, <laughs> I don't blame them at all. so did they try and convince you not to drink Yes. So even even before, you know, there was a drinking issue um, um, or a drinking problem when I was younger and I would drink on the occasion, I'd, I'd be out, I'd be an out of control drink. I'd have, you know, an emotional reaction to it. And it was what I thought was just all the repressed rage and anger that was within me uh, that was just coming flying out. And I thought that, oh, that's fine. I'm not an alcoholic. That's just an excuse, you know. But... Yeah, in, in terms of, yeah, resenting the drinking, yeah, everyone resented it. Everyone tried to make me more aware, more and more aware of it. I did become aware of it, obviously, by, you know, by way of, of losing my daughter. And, you know, I, I stepped into Alcoholics Anonymous for, for a little while. I identified with it, but I just, I, at that point, I, I still couldn't accept that that was part of my life. I, I guess I was very arrogant in that sense that, you know, well, you know, I, I've been brought up a certain way. I've had a very decent education. You know, everyone's typical, you know, everyone that comes into AA has that stereotypical vision of, of the alcoholic, which is the, the drunk on the park bench. <laughs> I'm like, well, my life isn't there. So, no, I'm not an alcoholic, but... Yeah, it's it's very different. Yeah. So what brought you to AA? My family did initially. And then to, you know, shift forward uh, a few more years in, in 2016 um, was when I really knew that I, I had a problem. But at that time, my, my marriage was also crumbling as well. And I was desperately wanting to leave, but couldn't. So drinking was my solution in that sense. So I went to rehab. I agreed to go to rehab and, and get help, but still was very self-focused in terms of, or, you know, blaming everyone else um, for the issue. Yeah, it's very common that if you, if you don't go to rehab for yourself, if you go to rehab for other people, it's, it's a bit of a waste of time. Yeah, so really until I could accept that I was an alcoholic and until I, you know, had that gift of desperation uh, that is that gets spoken about, I, I couldn't stay stopped. 
you know, I had to want this for myself. So how long did that take? And what, what sort of impact did it have on you and your family while you were getting to that point? It had a huge impact. It was quite devastating. Um, unfortunately, you know, I, I had to go through divorce. I lost custody of the rest of my children, you know, or all of them. And, you know, so motherhood had made up so much of who I was, so much of my identity that when I lost them, I, I lost me completely. And, you know, so for the past, well, for, for three more years it took uh, for, for me to keep hitting rock bottom over and over. And it wasn't until December 2019 that I, I finally had my last drink and uh, knew that I was completely done. And uh, walking back through the doors of AA in January 2020, desperate for, for a better solution to my life. Yep. So those last three years then, do you want to take us through sort of a day in the life of somebody who's lost their kids and drinking? So were you working at that point? No, I wasn't working. I got into another relationship and, you know, bless that man. I, I'm still with him today. He was going through his own issues, you know. He had, he had custody of his children, you know, because their mother had a, a mental health issue and, and, you know, so I'd lost my own children but was, help, you know, looking after children that weren't my own. Yeah, so a life in the day of Hayley at her worst moments uh, would be sitting on the couch and watching whatever on, on TV, secretly hiding stashes of wine bottles throughout the house and uh, just drinking the day away. So how difficult was it to care for children doing that while doing it? Oh, extremely difficult. You know, it, really, I, I, in the end, I wasn't helping. Uh, most days I'd keep to myself down in the bedroom because I thought, I figured that, well, I'm, I'm down in the bedroom, I'm locked away from everyone else, so I'm not really hurt. I'm not talking to anyone, so I'm not hurting them. You know, there'd be days, I'd go for, you know, days on end where I could not, I couldn't even shower myself. Or, or get out of bed some of those days. It was uh, it was pretty pretty horrendous. And you know, through those years, I, I did try to take my own life on multiple occasions as well. Yeah. So your your partner at that point must have been extremely tolerant of your behaviour to put up with that. And I guess that highlights the love people have that alcoholism can't break that love between people sort of how did you feel that you know you were being supported even though you were doing that I at the time I honestly didn't think I was being supported you know I, I couldn't see past my own self you know I, to me it was just I was so angry with the world and, and everyone else uh, that had been in my life and allowed certain things to happen to me that you know, and my my excuse was, well, if you'd gone through what I'd gone, I've gone through, then then you'd understand why I drink. You know, 
my ex-husband had been quite abusive and um, yet he ended up with custody of the children. But that's another story. So, <laughs> you know, that's that's not to say that, that that this current relationship was without its issues. You know, I've, I've been in and out. I've been kicked out a number of times. But we've managed to, you know, keep rekindling it because when everyone in my life, my own family, you know, and friends walked away, he was the one that was still there and, and he's the one that has copped the, you know, the major brunt of the worst of my drinking and that no one else has ever seen. So he's extremely tolerant, that's for sure. Yeah, my dad's an alcoholic, was an alcoholic, so yeah, I know the um, I know what that brunt is like. So, were you abusive when you drank? I was when I was triggered. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that was often, wasn't it, from my experience? Definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I was abusive in what I thought was a, a justified rage, but it's not. It's uh, yeah it was pretty horrendous and I, I know that if I was in that sort of relationship I'd walk the hell away from someone that's for sure yeah you've got to have a lot of resilience in yourself to stay that's for sure so what about your relationship with the children you're looking after how is that today look they're, they're extremely they're beautiful boys I love them like my own you know it's very sort of stilted I guess because you know, they saw more of my alcoholism than my own children did. Plus, they've got their own trauma from what they had gone through prior to me coming along. But in saying that, I do have my, I have my younger three children back in my life today. And I have such an incredible bond with them today uh, because I, I'm present. I'm able to be present as a mother. It, it's a really important bond that, you know, mother child relationship hmm. so do they value it as much as you do yeah very much so there, I guess there's a huge difference obviously from from where I was years ago to where I am now and they even come to AA with me uh, they come to my meetings and and my home group I guess it's a, it's a very young home group in terms of you know there's a lot of younger people so although I say young but I'm 39, so <laughs> still young uh, and younger than that. Um, but there's a lot of us that bring our children to that particular meeting and all the kids play outside while we're inside. And, and you know, my, my kids see how much of a difference there is in me today. Uh, even my 10-year-old son, you know, he knows that if I'm running rough on a certain day, he'll say to me, you know, mummy, how about you do a meeting? So... <laughs> I know how important it is. <laughs> yeah, it's good, isn't it, when when they have that that ability or that amount of insight. Yeah. And the values that I've learned in AA, I can, you know, they're not just specific to to alcoholics or addicts. It's 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 a lifestyle program. It's just learning a whole new way of living, and it's their values that I can instill in my children as well. You know, and I use to help them you know, deal with certain conflicts and, and things like that. So yeah, the, the respect is pretty important. Once once kids understand respect, I think it's a lot easier to go on with other people. Certainly growing up in an alcoholic home myself, I had no respect for my father. And that translated into most of my relationships, which would 
difficult. But, you know, coming to Al-Anon and understanding, you know, the fact that an alcoholic is basically a sick person who's self-medicating, you know, helped me to understand that he had his own problems and I was just adding to it. And my responsibility was not to add to his problems. And that's a big responsibility <laughs> for a kid to go through, yeah. So coming into AA then, what, what was it like for you meeting other people who had the same problem? Initially, I didn't like it, obviously, you know, because I, I had that identification uh, with other people, but I was very arrogant in my attitude towards it. I, I had an attitude of, well, I'm better than, you know, and well, you know, I haven't done that yet. I didn't get that bad. And, and it's what we call the, the yets, you know, the you're eligible to stupid. And I certainly achieved those yets, unfortunately, you know, um, through through doing I guess what we call the research and going back out there and drinking I've gone I've floated around AA for a long time but it wasn't until the, this time and I and I have had sponsors in the past but my first ever sponsor wasn't really someone who was doing working the program and I didn't understand what a sponsor was either and the particular meetings that I was going to you know I, I couldn't stay sober on them and it wasn't until I found what I call my home group today, even though I found it years ago, but yeah, having that, that gift of desperation and, and you know, I, I really do feel like I belong, you know, I've found my tribe and I've got incredible friendships today. You know, I went, I've went from someone who used to be an incredible loner to, you know, and, and not really having any friends to, uh, you know, I, I have so many, I've got a list a mile long of people that I can speak to on the phone at any given time. And it's incredible. On a daily basis, I, I receive gratitude lists from, you know, friends uh, from other women. And, and it's just beautiful, you know, to uh, be on, on an incredible journey with them. So. Yeah, they're, they're, they're closer than family, aren't they, really? Definitely, definitely, yeah. Particularly, particularly some of their families. <laughs> Okay, well, so we might take another short break there. The Rainbow Door is a free, culturally safe, specialist helpline for all LGBTIQA plus Victorians. The helpline provides information, support and referral from experienced peer workers on issues including mental health, family violence, relationships, suicide prevention and sexual assault. For information, support and referral, call the Rainbow Door on one 800 729 367. That's 1800 729 367, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day. Switchboard is a 3CR supporter. Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to.
This is the Living Free Show on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And today I'm talking with Hayley and we're talking about recovery from alcoholism with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. So Hayley, you're in AA and things start to change, but what did you see as a major change that AA enabled to occur for you? What was the first thing that you felt sort of like, ah, great? Oh, just coming back through the doors, I was at the point of just literally being down on my knees, desperate for help, and God, please save me. You know, I, I need help. And at that first meeting back, you know, I had a, a beautiful woman come up to me and say, you know, do you need a sponsor? Let's go through the steps. And, and we hit the ground running. And it's what I needed. Yeah. So... The first few steps are pretty important, but that admission that you're powerless over the first drink, it really is liberating. But did you find that understanding that if you didn't take the first drink, you were fine? I didn't understand that years ago, but I definitely do now. And I, yeah, it's, you know, that, that first drink, it's incredibly fatal because when I pick up a drink, I can't stop. And, uh, you know, the point that I got to, I was, I was drinking myself to death. So it's an incredibly important step to understand that that first drink, yeah, we are powerless over it. And to drink for me is to die. And I don't want that today. <laughs> I want to live. <laughs> no, you may have wanted it before, but you don't anymore. Yeah. And, and the second step to me is, you know, it's, it's, sounding a bell of hope in real terms that there is something that can help me and it doesn't depend on me you know so did you feel did you feel relief that it wasn't it wasn't up to you to get sober it was really you just had to turn up keep turning up yeah that believing in a in a power greater than myself i i never had an issue with believing in a higher power you know I, I was brought up catholic uh so i always believed i've always believed in god but my relationship with my god uh was incredibly fractured you know i think i'd, I'd really cut him off <laughs> or them off so it's coming around to that that belief again i did have that belief but it took a little while you know, for that to, to settle in again. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess deciding that you would continue to turn up, you know, turning up, realising there's hope and then continuing to turn up. So did you have that, I guess, the, the feeling that you needed to go to meetings, you needed to talk to other people? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I knew that I couldn't do this on my own. I had tried that and completely failed. And I knew that meetings worked, you know, that I needed to surround myself with people who understood me and uh, going to meetings that uh, share the, the hope and the, the recovery, the recovery, strength and hope for, for people like me. And, and that's what I got. Yeah. Did you find that it was better for you to surround yourself with women or were you happy generally? That is what has certainly ethically changed uh, my recovery journey. 
this time around is that I just stuck with the women. It's not to say that I, I you know, was with the men in any previous attempts, but I allowed myself to let the walls slowly crumble down and, and have just that, that element of, of faith. That's what it is. It's the faith, you know, that this is going to work and that if I surround myself with women, I am going to be okay. And today I am because today I have a beautiful home. I have children in my life. I've got my family in my life. And, you know, it's thanks to AA and the women that I have surrounded myself on this journey because, yeah, sticking with them has, has really helped me. Yeah. A lot of the things in re recovery stories is hearing stories that are worse than yours and realising that your life hasn't been quite as bad as you'd like to make out. Was that similar for you, that identifying with the struggles of other people and realising that you actually had it pretty good in some ways? Yeah, certainly. You know, I, today when I hear certain stories, I, I am incredibly appreciative of what I have you know, and, and also, you know, coming not long after I came back into the, into AA, I was at a meeting where a man who had just, you know, and he's 20 odd years sober, um, his daughter had just taken her own life because of this disease. And it's certainly a program where it right sizes me. Um, you know, where I think I'm having a bad day or, or you, know, I'm, I'm, you know, everything's going wrong for me, it'll certainly throw me a curveball to say, hey, you know, there's other people that have had it worse off than you. And it also shows me that, you know, life in recovery, it's not all, it's not all roses. Um, there's going to be uh, hurdles that we all need to get over, but this program gives me the tools that I need to deal with, you know, life on life's terms on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is good. Has being an AA enabled you to start broadening your life, getting into things that you hadn't really thought about before but could, can now take on without worry? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so... I am currently studying uh, my Cert for in uh, mental health and AOD counselling and helping others has always been a, a massive passion of mine. Uh, so during that, you know, I, I work full-time and, and I'm studying full-time. So it's um, I have the ability to juggle that today as well as fitting in family life and, and AA. So quite a busy person, but... You know, I have dreams and aspirations that are achievable today. Yeah. So did you find it difficult getting back to work after, you know, the depths of your alcoholism? I somehow, and I don't know how, somehow managed to get into work whilst I was in full-blown alcoholism. <laughs> don't know how, you know, the job that I am currently in started as a, as a temp role and I guess that was probably one of the first miracles of my sobriety was, you know, the, the week after I put down the drink, I was offered a full-time position in that particular role. So, yeah, incredibly grateful to be there, that's for sure. 
I have been asked that question before and yeah it's, a, it's an interesting one to be able to say well I'm still there so yeah so were you able to let them know your situation or not no I, I haven't I it's something that I certainly keep to myself just simply for the fact that it's yeah they're they're of a, a certain community and, and religious view that I don't want it to affect my my current employment um it's something that I you know think I could be honest about down the track possibly uh, but no it's not something that I'd bring up right now yeah so what about that stigma of being an alcoholic and how much it affects people in real terms what's your view on that about how stigmatized alcoholism still is and there's still the view that the alcoholic's the guy on the park bench with a bottle of something in a brown paper bag and you know people don't I haven't realised that it's distributed through society. It is. I think it's very hard to, to break that stigma, that's for sure. It's also very difficult in our particular society, given that it is so alcohol-focused or, you know, all our social environments are based around alcohol, you know, but... I've got no issues with calling myself, identifying as an alcoholic today. I think, yeah, certainly more awareness needs to be made around this disease that it, it is actually linked to mental health issues and, and that, you know, we're, we're sick people trying to get well and we're sick people that have had a poor solution to life, you know, and, and I love the fact that more and more it is trying to get out there uh, you know, or, or be promoted as um, rethinking addiction or, or alcoholism. My eldest daughter, I don't know what she's been told of this disease. She's certainly not surrounded by people who have a favourable insight to this disease, for lack of a better word, and, you know, who have lack of understanding of this disease, unfortunately. So that relationship's going to take time to, to rekindle, you know, and it's not until she, I guess she has that that understanding for herself of, of what it really is that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's very difficult, isn't it? It's in that situation. Yeah, so I guess the societal view and, and I guess the inability of people to be honest about their drinking compounds the issue and sort of drives it underground in a large, to a large extent. But what sort of things are you involved in AA to try and help get the message out I guess AA it's not affiliated with anything you know we don't try it's it's not something that is promoted it's more word of mouth you know um I'll open up to depending on certain situations I'll you know if, if I have a friend speaking to me about you know an issue or you know that someone else has an issue I can I can offer a solution there you know, and say, well, I understand what that person's going through. This is my story. You know, I've done something like that recent in recent months. You know, um, this particular person didn't know my background, and you know, they needed help with another friend, and so I was able to give them some And there is hope there, but until you're actually in the midst of AA and have that understanding that no, it's not a cult. <laughs> Um, it's not a religion. It's just a few simple rules 
or not even rules. They're just a few simple suggestions and, and I get to live a better life because of that. Yeah, a lot of people sort of worry about the abstinence part, two parts, the abstinence part and the, the God slash higher power part. So did you ever balk at the abstinence? Oh, for sure. Yeah, uh, didn't want to because of that, you know, my my own family who you know whenever they get together you know there's there's alcohol involved there's drinking you know that it's so prevalent in our society but today i i don't even think twice about it you know i don't have cravings anymore and and i don't see it as being different to anyone else yeah i know people who don't even you know who don't have an issue and and that don't drink anyway so yeah, so do you find it hard to be a non-drinker in a drinking culture like Australia? For myself today, not really. No, um, I just see it as you know, liquid in a in a different glass. It's I just stick to something else. Whereas before, it was uh, it was all I was fixated on was you know I'm different and and I didn't want to be different. I wanted to be part of. And whereas today I'm I'm happy to be the cheese that stands alone, so to speak. But I can I can understand that yes, it is very difficult to to be a non-drinker in in our society because alcoholism is or alcoholic drinking, you know, is is a big part of of our our social status here. Yeah. So did going to AA solve your problem? Or have you had other issues with drugs or things like that? Uh, no, never had another issue. AA is what has certainly worked for me. I've been to multiple rehabs. That didn't stick until I came into AA and you know, followed a few simple suggestions of changing my lifestyle. Yeah, it's, it's changed my life for the better, that's for sure. Yeah, that's good. Okay, well, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Hayley for sharing her recovery experience with us and talking about how Alcoholics Anonymous has helped her. Thank you. Thank you very much, Phil, for having me. Much appreciated. If you'd like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can phone them in Australia on 1300 or go online at aa.org.au. And there you'll get more information and details of local AA meetings and contacts. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.